It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who is to The Extra Inch, what Jack Grealish is to Aston Villa, and who I happen to know, podcast with his socks rolled down to boots. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. That's, that's, that's another actually accurate statement once again. I'm all ankle, me. So when we say pull your socks up, Nathan, I mean, it could be taken literally. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, to start the podcast off, we're doing a giveaway. Um, Sean, who is one of our ex-subs, has developed some comic book style prints, which we really loved. So good. Uh, so the two that are particularly um, interesting for us as Spurs fans are the Miracle of Amsterdam one and the 2020 Golden Season one. Check them out on his website. So he's got an Etsy site. So you go etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash comics FC. They're really, really cool. Uh, and Sean has very kindly given us a print to give away. So how are we going to do this? Bardi's come up with an ingenious idea. Talk us through it. I'll talk, just talk us through it, Chris. So what we're going to do is, if you're a patron, reply to this, um, reply to the post of this podcast, and I will pick five of my favourite Amsterdam stories. So what we want is people to tell us where they witnessed the miracle of Amsterdam. You know, make it flowery, make it interesting. I will pick my five favourites, and then I will do a live draw on the next podcast, and whoever's name comes out of my hat or other kind of cup-like uh, container will win the uh, the print of their choice, either the miracle of Amsterdam or the twenty. 2020 goal of the season print it has to be the miracle in amsterdam one really though because it's so good it's so so i mean they're both lovely pieces of work but that one is iconic absolutely iconic great work sean uh, and actually we're, we're gonna be doing some um gonna be doing some work with sean over the coming weeks um more on that later mm-hmm. um boys uh, matt doherty has got coronavirus not great news uh troy parrots called up to the senior island squad so at least there's that eh? Oh, is he coming right back, is he? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> They're running out of players now. Oh, um, do you know what's happened with Norway? No. You, okay, oh my goodness. So, um, basically, Norway have shut down their borders basically completely. So the entire mm. Norway squad are in Norway, not allowed right. to leave. The <laughs> Romania game was cancelled, but they're not pulling out of the competition entirely. They're going to put together a squad of Norwegian players who are playing in foreign leagues and not currently called up at home. So Norwegian guys in front, like we're talking League 3, uh, <laughs> Serie D, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, National League level Norwegian players, like really their, their, their fourth or fifth choice team. And they are going to wow. compete for the meantime in Nations League and qualifiers and whatever else. Um, so Islands might have it a little bad calling up, you know, their wonder kid striker. But but Norway, are, it, it's, it sounds like the plot for the lamest sports movie of all time. <laughs> That's amazing. So if you're if you're Norwegian, if you're of Norwegian descent and you can kick a football, <laughs> there's a possibility you could get an international cap this week. That's amazing. There was Imagine a video. They unearthed like some gem, some guy that just just had just had a bad luck story all his life. Every time <laughs> there's been a scout, he's been sick, and he turns out to be the next the, the real Martin Odegaard kind of thing. Yeah, you have made this lame sports film even lamer. <laughs> there was a there was a video going round of um I don't know who so, you know Bjorgsen whatever. Um, and he's like fr- warming up his frying pan on on uh, face cam, saying, "Does anyone know what to eat three games <laughs> three days before a game? <laughs> like, what's the nutrition? What should you eat?" <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! That's amazing. Um, th- so th- this round of friendlies is looking, or well, friendlies and I guess tournament matches 
it's a friendly tournament, but tournament matches. It's looking like a very bad idea in hindsight. It's a been, catastrophe, man. Yeah, it's awful. It's really awful. So lots and lots of players have um, tested positive these past 10 days. Is it 10 days, something like that? Yeah. Um, we know that Son has been um, cavorting with, <laughs> with positive testing players in the South Korean squad. I think they had five positive tests. Not good. We know that Gareth Bale was uh, hugging Matt Doherty, who has now tested positive. So there's every chance that more of our players will be um, be positive as well. Obviously, Mo Salah is the the, the real high profile casualty to coronavirus. Also, he was uh, at a is, wedding. Not good. He was yeah. at a wedding. He wasn't on a training pitch, so there is that to be taken into account. I mean, it's just so foolish. I hope he gets disciplined for that. Uh, he should he should be in trouble with the club and also the national team for that. It's reckless. I mean, essentially, Egypt as a nation has given up on fighting the coronavirus and is, is uh, taking a, uh, an actively seeking herd immunity approach and just saying, let's just allow everyone to get it. So, like, the point of failure was him returning to Egypt in the first mm. place because there was no way that he was going to go there and, and pretty much not get... Like, it was it was always a very, very high risk. Um, mm. And obviously, that's, that's the extreme safe case for Salah but it was absolutely insane to have the last international break let alone this one because you know what is what's you know what's the worst thing to do yeah, during a global yeah. pandemic you know i just it's it's so completely baffling that that this would be somehow necessary yeah um it it makes the podcast the most recent podcast I did with Alex Benham sort of even more <laughs> aging pretty well, pretty yeah. fast. Yeah, eh? yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it does make me think that football needs to have uh, a circuit breaker, as um, sure. as the government were referring to, it, and needs to have a, a sort of two week suspension to just sort of see off the worst, I suppose, and then and then go back to what they're doing before, which sort of lucked out with previously. A non-international break. Uh, everyone stay at home for a few days break. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we've also got Dyer who, I mean, you were telling me, I, I missed the England game, but you were telling me he seemed to pick up an injury and then played anyway? Yeah, he got a tackle from, was it Kyle Walker? I think it might have been Kyle Walker, our old friend. He got a crunching tackle from, from an England player and was hobbling off the pitch just before the pre-match, uh, during the pre-match warm-up. And, it, right. and, and then I think it must have been Maguire then started to jog about a bit, but then Dyer started the game and, and played okay. But it's one of those, it's like sometimes you you play 90 minutes and later you realise that you shouldn't have done because you get a scan or something. So there's there's a mild worry there, uh, but he did he did seem, you know, perfectly agile, <laughs> as, as about as agile as Eric Dyer gets, you know. Oh, fingers crossed on that one then. Um, so continuing the theme of talking about international football, I, I, I can see that Bardi has uh, has put Southgate on the agenda here. So go on, Bardi, the floor is yours. No, it's just <laughs> I, I'm just confused about this morning. I listened to Football Daily as I was as I was sorting out my breakfast, and I just I'd never heard an England manager receive so much praise despite losing a game and not qualifying for the next round of the Nations League, and now losing his tenth um, football matches football uh, matches England manager once again to a, a top tier opponent and I'm, I'm just struggling to get my head around why he seems to be immune from from all the criticism and I can only put my finger on the fact that he doesn't have a bank account in his dog's name he's not he's not sleeping with the an FA secretary and he's not talking to um the fake shakes so I think he gets away with everything and people aren't questioning what he's doing what his plans are and the fact that you yourself said that he's getting young players in the team, but he just seems to be throwing in young players willy-nilly without any kind of plan, any kind of system. I'm not sure what kind of football team England are. And I just think he's escaping a lot of criticism. And he's kind of finally started to play Jack Grealish. But even that, he, he kind of forced his hand. Had Sterling and Rashford been fit, he wouldn't have played last night. And um, I just think he needs a question mark needs to be put against his name because he's not that good and he hasn't done very much. I don't wait. I don't say the World Cup semi-final because getting to the World Cup semi-final <laughs> by beating Panama, Tunisia, Colombia on penalties and Sweden is not an achievement. 
you know, he's, he lost twice in that tournament. The uh, three times. The Grealish thing is definitely frustrating. I'm, I'm with mm. you there because what a player, and he had such a great game. And it's still frustrating that he's played. You know, uh, the the Southgate sees him exclusively as as a forward player when we could really have done with him picking up the ball deeper in a few recent games. But I thought we actually played pretty well against Belgium despite the result. We massively, massively outshot them. Um, so I. Uh, and also, like, what is the Nations League? I'm not really too concerned about that competition. I don't think I am. Should I be? Do I need to be? Is that how it works now? I don't know. How are Italy doing? Italy, it's, this is why I kind of like the Nations League, because Italians are the worst people when they don't have a purpose. If it's a friendly, they're, they're a disgrace. They're an abomination. <laughs> they, just, they don't turn up. They don't do anything. So all of a sudden, having the Nations League has, has been good for us, because um, we've decided to start taking things a little bit serious and we've now recovering from the mess that Ventura put us in in 2017 before the World Cup and we're finally we're very wedded to a 4-3-3 but we're finally starting to see something good happen and for the first time I think in in a long long time I'm I'm quietly optimistic about this group of players we we really don't have a striker we've got if we had Kane I would say we would we would win the Euros at a canter but Immobile and Belotti yeah. is our number nine so it's not good okay I mean we even put St- uh, Stefano Okaka do you remember him who played mm. Anderlecht and Watford he came on last night because we oh, got wow. a bit of a coronavirus um, crisis I mean Mancini is not even on the bench because he has coronavirus so we were down to the bare bones but Okaka is now like our fifth choice number nine which is a, a sad state of affairs <laughs> but our midfield is absolute golden so I, I think um, I think Southgate definitely deserves some criticism. Definitely deserves some criticism, and I agree that the handling of Grealish has been um, concerning, shall we say? Because Grealish is clearly one of our most talented ball progressors and creators, um, and his sort of previous exclusion um, it, it definitely made me question whether there was something going on sort of behind the scenes. Whether Southgate sort of thought that that Grealish lacked discipline on and off the pitch. I mean, it's possible. It's, it's possible. And we we saw what Grealish did at the start of the the lockdown. Um, he, he he's he's a, he's a young man, and he acts like a young man sometimes. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's gone on with with Grealish, but I'm just glad to see him take his chance now, and hopefully he'll become uh, a more prominent player in the team. I also I don't really like Southgate's experimentation with the formation. I don't think the system. I don't think the three at the back system does us any favors. Frankly, I don't think we've got three good centre backs. So that's uh, that's the first black mark against it. But I, I I think also it restricts it restricts the um, creative options of which we have many. It's kind of one of our strength is our forward players as a nation right now we've got some really exciting young attacking forward players and we need to get as many of them on the pitch as possible as as i see it so i definitely think there are some black marks against southgate but i would definitely say on the whole for me he he has been net good i have liked gareth southgate's tenure i like the fact that he he was involved in the development of many of these young players he gave many of them their debuts and now he's sort of seeing it through they're in the squad time and time again i i I don't uh, he's got a difficult job in his hands because he's transitioning now. He 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 came in, he made some changes to the team. He had a, a team that did you know well in the uh, got to the semi finals, as Bardi says, albeit against some you know he was a bit of a flat track bully in that tournament. I think that's fair fair to say. Uh, and and since then he's had to sort of transition a bit with the team and make some changes and certainly fix up the midfield. And he's trying some things and he hasn't quite worked out what the best team is. But in doing this experimentation, he's making some slightly odd decisions and not exactly filling me with confidence. I'm hoping that Jude Bellingham takes the decision of what happens with the midfield out of his hands and just sort of makes himself uh, a required component, because I think that will really help England. Bellingham and um, and either Phillips or Rice in midfield is an upgrade on most other options long term, I think. But um, I, I do take Bardi's point that Southgate is not uh, Mr. Perfect. He's, he's certainly not. International football management is really hard, though. You don't get the players for very long. And you get, you know, managers like Jose Mourinho putting players out um, willy-nilly. So you don't always get the same group of players. So it is tough. It's a tough job. I actually think Mourinho would be a brilliant international football manager. I mean, if, if we could get him for England, then we might win a World Cup or two. 
You can always see Chris's little mind working. Let's let's get Southgate fired and put Mourinho in so he leaves Tottenham. Maybe I can see, <laughs> I, I see how you work. But I do have one final question on this, Windy. Is someone who watches a lot of youth football, why don't England take the under-21 seriously? Why are you talking about a 17-year-old midfielder who he, he's, not, he's not Maradona, he's not Pelé? Why are you talking about a 17-year-old midfielder starting for England now? Why doesn't he make his bones, for lack of a better word, in the under-21s like most European countries do? What is the obsession with England of chucking in teenagers into the starting eleven? Let them Let them learn about football, tournament football, where they should learn about it. I think it's a very player-specific thing. So Bellingham is a freak because he was playing men's football at 16. That's really unusual. He was a, he was a regular starter for Birmingham at 16. That doesn't happen very often, and it means he's kind of leapfrogged some of the youth age groups. I wouldn't expect that to happen with many other players. You know, Sancho is another example where that has happened. He he was playing, again, men's football at a much younger age than would normally be expected, and so he skipped up the age groups because there comes a point where it's like, what what are they getting from the youth football now? They're kind of, they've, they've moved beyond that in their club football. So in a sense, they skip beyond it in international football too. I, I definitely think um, you've got a point in that it's it's good to sort of bed these players in together. They build relationships at, at various youth levels and then come through at the same time. That is a really uh, nice sort of theoretical idea. And I think that has worked for us in the past and could work again. We've got a strong, we've, you know, we've got strong Youth groups under 19s are good, under 18s are good. The under 21s, I think, are, are pretty good. Um, and hopefully some of them will come through together. But I think it does need to be taken player by player with who plays in which age group, to be honest. Fair that enough. Sense. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, if you look at the most successful teams under 21s, they those are the same teams that are successful at senior level. Mm-hmm. So I do think England are a bit naive by by pushing players through too early. But anyway, Spurs, yeah? Spurs. Um, so uh, there's, I guess one thing to talk about Spurs-wise before we do dive into some questions is, is Marcel Sabitzer, who has been linked continually for the last month, really. Um, he's a player that's played against Spurs a couple of times, so we've, we've had a look at him in those matches. He's an attacking midfielder who plays sort of 50% right wing, 50% sort of central mm. and his numbers are extremely good if you go to footballslices.com you type in Marcel Sabitzer and you you change the template to attacking midfielders and wingers what you will see is a glorious return of of color yeah. a, a splash of color all over the screen where he's basically doing everything well um Nathan what do you know about him as a player the thing with with Leipzig players uh, and even Salzburg plays as well is that I I very much think of the team and not the individuals. So I sort of don't know an enormous amount Sabitzer, but I know that he is one of a member of an incredible, incredible pressing unit, uh, an incredible, incredible transitioning team. Um, yeah, he plays right and central. Um, he creates a lot of chances. He's sort of the um, not like the playmaker, like he controls tempo so much, but but the 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 primary or the the secondary chance creator after counter-attacking right after creating the condition um not a huge amount of 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 ball carrying um or dribbling uh more like quick combination passing and he's also a really good long shooter as well okay um Bardi what do you think this signing would mean for the existing players I mean it seems to me it seems um potentially slightly odd that we would be looking to sign another attacking midfielder Mm. It it is a strange one. I think I think if we do sign Sabitz, I think that's pretty much the end of Delhi. I don't think I don't think Delhi comes back from this, yeah. which is very sad. Um, I, I, but also I, I don't. I, how much would he be? I I I don't believe I don't believe this is going to happen. I think it's just one of those rumors that are just out there. But I think we would only buy him if a couple of players left in January. So I I don't think it's going to happen. It would be great if it did if it did because he was he was fabulous against us. But um, we have to wait and see. But it will be sad to lose Delhi on 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 the other side. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's no bad thing in having options. Absolutely. It would leave us pretty well stocked in um, attacking midfield, though. You know, from the right, we've got Bale, Lucas and Lamella, I guess, who, who play on our right side. Lo Celso can also play the sort of right attacking role. Hasn't played there so much recently. And then centrally, naturally, we've got uh, Ndombele, who's playing there at the moment, mainly. But Lo Celso, too. Bale would like to play centrally, I'm sure. Lamella, again, can play centrally. So good options there. Um, Nathan, any thoughts on what this might mean? Yeah, no, it, it's it's you know more wingers, more wingers, more wingers every window for a. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know. It's. I think um, the rumours persist for a few more weeks into December, and we're getting towards the January window. Then I will put together a, a video looking not just at him as a player, but also why we might be interested in buying yet another attacking player when that is not <laughs> where the holes in our team are at all. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? It's, it's considering how that money might otherwise be spent. Um, okay, we're going to do some questions. So start off with one from David Holland. He says, it seems that there is general consensus that the best 11 now looks something like this. 4-3-3. Lloris, Doherty, Dyer, Alderweireld. He had Sanchez, but I'm substituting yeah. Alderweireld because this is old now. Um, Regalon. Dombele, Huibier, Celso, Bale, Kane, Son. He says, do you think... Do you guys think this team will actually work? What are its strengths and weaknesses and will that midfield hold together? So this is something we've we've gone over quite a bit, but I think um, it suddenly becomes relevant now the Celso is fit again. So we had another question similarly from um, Rob Klinite from Minnesota. He says, what's the tactical advantage to playing both Huibier and Sissoko against teams that sit deep on us? So I guess the, 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 the nuts and bolts of these questions are Sissoko or the Celso and what I'd, the way I'd like to approach this is what would you do and what do you realistically see Mourinho doing um Barley let's start with you I mean that 4-3-3 it looks looks really good that looks incredible team and if I was playing FIFA that's the team I'd play because you've you've got everything you need there like looking at it what I'm doing is I'm playing the team as it appears on paper so as it appears on paper I think that team is unbeatable but in the hands of Mourinho, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that team works because Sun Sun will work back, but I'm not sure about Bale working back on the right. So I'm unsure how he would do it there. And then I'm also concerned about the Endombele and Lacelso together in midfield. Lacelso has the qualities that Mourinho likes. Endombele at the moment does has some of them, but doesn't have the rest of it. So I think there has to be a balance made in that midfield. And I'm not sure those three in real life work. So. Is it our best paper? Is it our best team on paper? 100%. That's that's the team we play every time. But does it work in real life? I'm not sure if it does work in real life. And I'm not sure if it works for Mourinho, which makes which then makes me say it's not our best team. Perhaps we do need a bit more of a, uh, a Sissoko in there. But obviously, upgrade Sissoko. Instead of buying Sabitzer, let's buy someone who's better than Sissoko, if you see what I mean. What do you think, Nathan? And I'm keen for you to sort of lean into the, the tactical side. What's the tactical advantage of playing both Huey Bier and Sissoko against teams that sit deep in us? That's uh, that's Rob, what Rob said. Um, or is it simply that the Celso has been injured until now and he'll come back in the team and pick up Sissoko's duties? Um, it's not just that, because there's definitely been a lot of like uh, role sharing between Lacelso and Dombele, where one is subbed off for the other, and then the other is subbed off <laughs> for the first, and, and back and forth, and back and forth, and they sort of between them, uh, they cost ninety million euros, but they're always fit. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's impossible to play both at the same time. Um, and in fact, yeah, Mourinho sort of wasn't asked that, but answered that question uh, recently in a press conference. Where he said, yeah, it's possible. Um, but I understand his, his reluctance. Uh, we've got to try it. We've got to see it. You know, We've got to see it in Europa League um, where it will look great and then bring it to the Premier League where it will fall apart because that's the tradition. Mm. But um, it's definitely worth seeing. Why Sissoko over either one of them? Because he's always fit, because he is especially fit he covers an enormous amount of ground um he's definitely underrated as a ball carrier um because his his defensive work and his tracking back is really strong um because he's not going to get overexcited carrying the ball and and overcommitting to midfielders forwards he's he's he gets scared when he gets towards the final third and runs away with his tail between his legs um and that's frustrating to watch maybe sometimes as a fan but it helps balance the team because uh, Sissoko is really good at covering behind the fullback, all of that kind of stuff, which I think everyone already knows. Um, but yeah, Lo Celso is not lazy by any means, not defensively weak by any means, um, any of that kind of stuff. Um, let, let's let let's see it basically. Let's stop having this conversation. Let's um, let's see it against um, Lask next time we play them, and uh, then we'll have maybe a slightly better idea. I, I completely agree with the point you ended on, which is Lo Celso is no sort of lazy bones himself. He, no. He's someone who really does muck in. He's quite a tenacious player. He's played deep for us many times and looked good. Um, he looked really good. He's looked really good playing from deep, I think. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm... 
So I, I just don't rate Soko that highly, to be honest. I, I think compared to most of our fan base, I'm down on him. And I appreciate that I'm down on him compared to most of the fan base. And so I, I tend not to speak about him too much these days because sure. I know it upsets people and I don't want to upset anyone. But what I would like to see <laughs> is Lo Celso play the Soko role just to see if he does it better because I think he will do it better and he would offer us more of a transition so the thing that's always said about Sissoko is he's a brilliant transition player when the ball's loose he's quick to it and then he gets things moving which yes. I think is hard to disagree with it's you know he, he is very agile and very tenacious at sort of chasing down loose balls but I think the Celso can do that too I really do and I think he can do it with a lot more a lot more quality and ability on the ball in possession. Um, Sissoko is very good at covering the right back role, but I don't think that's something that's difficult to teach. I think that's a fairly sort of basic tactical um, instruction to to carry out, and I think the Celso could could learn that if that's uh, if that's important to Mourinho. And like Nathan, I just kind of want to see this happen now. I want to see this get go. I don't want the Celso to be a number ten or nothing under Mourinho. I want to see him play a bit deeper. I want to see that blend of skills between Ndombele, Hoybier and Lo Celso. And I ideally want to see them in a 4-3-3. I want to see Ndombele one side of Hoybier mm. and Lo Celso the other side. And I think that will have a lovely balance to it. Um, but we have to wait and see. We have to be patient now. Sissoko is also better in the air. <laughs> he's, he's very tall. He's tall, isn't he? He's very tall. And he's always fit. He's never not fit. He's, he's that guy yeah. that when you play five aside and the WhatsApp message goes out, he's never busy. He's <laughs> never got a work meeting. He's never got an injury. He's always there. And all of you go, oh. And it's, that's, that's, that's the thing. Whereas uh, Endombele and uh, La Celso, they can't be relied upon. They're the, they're the guys that pull out on a Thursday, <laughs> 3 p.m. when, when kickoff is it. Yeah, it's raining. <laughs> the one. <laughs> Where they send that little message out to the whole group, lads, oh, it's raining outside, isn't it? Like, <laughs> wanting it to be called off. Whereas Sissoko's like, no, no, I'll be there, don't worry. And he's always early, he's always got a spare ball and a spare pair of shorts. Running wits yeah. before you arrive. <laughs> exactly. and, and he probably wears all black boots. <laughs> Sissoko's me, I'm, that's, that was me when it, with, with five aside, Sissoko is me. That, never, always there, always available. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fair point. He, is, he has been very steady. He's been very steady the problem is that his performances very rarely go beyond steady and i think think the celso can elevate us i just want to see that given an opportunity um another question from from rob he says what has happened to son in the last few games he's so full of doubt now and i think this is something that we we failed to sort of talk about but it is it is something that i've noticed um son has he's had a bit of a dip you know, he, he he was fabulous at the start of the season. He really was. And Son does this. He has, he's a streaky player. He goes through uh, fits and starts. But um, Bardi, what do you think? Why is, why is Son dipping now? Um, I'm not sure why he's dipping now, but the level he was at was an incredible level that I think I think on the X subs pod before I got before my internet collapsed. I think um, the difference between like Messi, Ronaldo, when they're at their peak and the rest of the world is they were able to stay in their streak. They don't drop in and out. Son is a great footballer who's not world class and therefore unable to be a, an elite, elite footballer for, for, for six, seven months in a row. He's just, he's just off his hot streak at the moment. I think he needs perhaps taking out of the firing line, rest like a little bit of rotation would sort him out and then he'll, he'll get, he'll get it back. He, he'll find that confidence and the thing about Son, he's a very instinctive player and when he moves the ball, he needs to, he doesn't really think about it, he just does it. And the moment he starts doubting him, doubting himself, he loses his kind of speed of thought thing, speed of thought and reaction. So um, just let him ride it out would be would be my opinion. But you can, we've got enough players and there's enough games to drop him out the firing line for a bit. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? It's um, mm. taking out the team when he's not hot and then getting back in as soon as he's hot again. And it's something we've not been able to do as much as we'd like to have been able to do, but we have got a great squad now. It should be, it should be possible. Um, final question from Rob. I've been a bit sneaky putting all three of Rob's questions in. He says, does Nathan have stats for free kicks won in the last 30? For all the skill we have, we still seem to concede two or three times more than we earn. He says, I'm probably just too emotional about this, but it does seem when watching Spurs that we do concede a lot of late free kicks and don't win all that many. Do you have a theory as to why that is, Nathan? So I don't have these statistics, but... Um... All teams foul a lot. It's just that you notice ours because we give them up in the final third or attack in mm. half at least, rather than using them to break up counters down the other end of the pitch. I think that's it. Uh, maybe I can try and poke around and have a look at numbers, but I suspect that we are we are largely in line. Um, 
with how many fouls other teams you know give up against us it's just yeah when you when you concede a free kick from 35 yards out um when you're holding on to a one goal lead you remember that but you don't remember us just kicking someone in the shins over by the corner flag at the other end of the pitch but i think there's also perhaps how we defend set pieces all of a sudden makes a free kick from 35 yards out it's it hmm. adds a, 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 a kind of slice of jeopardy to us because we're just not that great at defending them perhaps so it just makes them more memorable naturally mm. because you you remember being terrified right by the appearance yeah. of a, a ball coming into the box. I wonder if there's something to do with uh, Mourinho Spurs sort of sitting back, tending to sit back for a bit longer than we would have done under Pochettino. Is that is that fair to say? So so we, we therefore, because we're playing deeper as a team, we therefore naturally concede more free kicks in our own half. Yeah. Maybe. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it will be interesting to see the data, but uh, I, I think you're probably right that it's uh, an emotional thing. Uh, Tom Oz, he says, with Skip bossing it at Norwich, would you boys be happy with the idea of him and Huybier in midfield for next season? Uh, Nathan, you recently did a video on Oliver Skip. We recently did a video on Oliver Skip. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I mean, he looks pretty good, doesn't he? He does look good. He does look good. The scan man. The scan man. <laughs> He's won uh, Championship Player of the Month since that video, I believe, so... Uh, it's not just us who thinks he's been playing well. Not that we thought that was the case anyway. Uh, is he asking to play with Hoybier in in a pair? Or I mean, for me, it's 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 um it's, it's a being, rotation. It's rotation. It's being it's being the second choice number six behind Hoybier, so that we aren't sweating every time Hoybier hits the deck because the second we are without it because he's playing yeah. pretty much every possible minute at the yeah. moment and when <laughs> Wink subs in for him you know it's a little bit scary uh, maybe maybe I should be really mean and or you'll have to watch the video to, to no but uh, I think it's I think I think it's close I think it's I think it's I think it's um, yeah. I think he's he's getting towards that stage where you'd be pretty happy. I mean, I guess it's something that you an exercise that you often use when is if Skip wasn't already a Spurs player, if he was a shiny new thing, if there was this, what is he twenty one, twenty two? There was. I think he might be twenty. If wow, there was a twenty year old defensive midfielder in the Championship, bossing things from attacking third place sides, um, winning. Um, player of the month I'd be saying let's spend 30 million on this kid and get him in so let's uh, let's spend nothing on this kid and get him in so confirmed he's 20 and uh, wow. he's he's only really just 20 as well so yeah he's, he's young he's young and he's English <laughs> ticks all the boxes <laughs> he's really good Skip is a really really good player I mean another thing I say very often is if he wasn't a Spurs player he'd have played a lot more football by now so if Skip was coming through at Birmingham where Bellingham came through he would have played <laughs> two seasons worth of football by now because he's he's that good he's really really good and also he I mean as Nathan again pointed out in his video he was physically quite mature at an early age so he could hold his ground at that he could help yeah he, I mean he was able to sort of stand out to academy level because he was physically bigger than other players and was able to step up to the under 23s sooner than um, other players have um I I think Schuybier is he's a perfect mentor for Skip for next season I I've spoken before about that um Huey Bear interview with the football ramble with Andy Brassel, where he just comes across as such a sort of mature, intelligent, uh, erudite, 
sensible person. And that is the kind of person that Skip can learn a lot from, I think. He's he's uh, very assertive, very self-confident. I think that's perhaps one area that Skip's lacking in a little bit is, is self-confidence and self-belief. Uh, if if Bear can rub off on him, then we're, you know, we're on to a winner. It's, it's a great little rotation option. I think the two of them working together in tandem next year is exciting. I got a name dropped on the Football Ramble the other day, so shout-outs to Vish. Back to Vish from the Football Ramble. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Nice. What was the shout-out for? Uh, so they were talking about... Uh, Ash, my mate Ash, Ashwin Raman, who works for Dundee, um, and he, so he'd been included in Football Manager. This is it's funny that it sort of broke this way. He's been included in Football Manager, which means it's now a matter of public record, which means he can now tweet about it and I can now talk about it. Um, and so he, he sort of grabbed some headlines because he confirmed the fact that he was born in 2003. He's 17 uh, and he works for, for Dundee. I mean, he he's 17, but it's like, He's been kicking about football Twitter since he was 14. So, and I, I was like talking to this guy I know on Twitter. He turns out to be a 14 year old kid for years. Um, but yeah, so he's 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 years of experience in, uh, and because Stevie Greavy um, works for Dundee, um, and he sort of followed him on Twitter, he's he's handed over some some data work to, to Ash, and he's been working for Dundee, and and yeah, it, it made some headlines and it went around. So they mentioned they brought this up on the ramble, and then uh, Vish said, "There's a bunch of really smart people on Twitter, you know." Uh, mentioned Grace Robertson as well. He's great at mentioning me, so that was really really kind. Buddy, did you did you get mentioned? <laughs> no, I didn't get mentioned at no, all. No, 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 no one mentions me. But I'm going to have my qu- so there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, you just you, spoiler alert! Jesus Christ, Hardy. <laughs> You're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, shout out uh, shout out to Chris Summersell too who has also been included on Football Manager yes uh, Chris Summersell who I do this straight off the training ground podcast with for our ex-subs legend of a man uh, that's a, a lovely achievement that's pretty cool pretty cool have either of you invested in the new Football Manager yet? Um, I'm still fully invested in um, Football Manager 2017 <laughs> I, I still haven't got away from that yet uh, one of our ex subs gave me a gave me a copy. I haven't downloaded it yet, but I, I I'm sure I will do once I'm bored of you know doing that stuff in real life. <laughs> I really I, I I yeah I need to avoid getting this game because I will lose yeah, hours yeah, of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I do love it though. I love it so much. Um, next question is from Javad Mavahedi. He says, "Would you do a player swap, Skriniar for Sanchez? I fear Sanchez has regressed, and I think we have enough options." if you went in the other direction in January. Um, Nathan, another player you've done a video on previously, you liked Skriniar, I was a bit less key, but uh, I think I think I would say that I prefer him as an option to Sanchez. What do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's kind of a, like, stick with what you got or roll the dice. Mm-hmm. And because, mm-hmm. because there's, like, before any sort of in-depth analysis of Skriniar comes into it, you, you we're, we're tempted, as again, by the shiny thing, by the thing that's not really here, because Davinson has kind of regressed, essentially, uh, he's again. He's not a bad defender by any means. Yep. Um But he's probably below his forty million price tag that he cost to come here. So uh, it's not an obvious and easy and definite and immediate kind of swap. But yeah, probably it's probably the one I'd make. Mm. Not that it's an option. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe it is. I mean, not a direct swap, but maybe that's something we will look to do in January. I mean, Buddy, what do you think? Would you would you roll the dice as Nathan put it? Um, and swap those two. I, I, on a personal level, I don't think we could deposit another former Tottenham player into who's just going to be sad and upset. I, I wouldn't want to do that to Sanchez. He might be able to cheer up Ericsson, but huh. yeah, um, you, you are rolling the dice. Like you said, Sanchez is not a terrible defender. Uh, he's going in. A, he's, he's going in the. In a bit of a funk at the moment, but would I want to roll the dice? No, no, we've got him. Let's just keep him, see if he can ride it out. But um, I don't know. It's, it's all very, it's all very sad. I feel quite kind of sad and down about Sanchez because I had huge hopes for him and I think he had huge potential. And I, I'm still, he's still a young guy, you know, for a centre back, he still can come through this. And rather than just chucking money at somebody else and hoping for the best, I would like us to show a little bit of faith. But this is football. Faith doesn't come into it, really. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I do think that um, moving on Sanchez and signing a replacement would be like a, a fairly painless mm. upgrade, to be honest. 
I, like I'm not, I, don't, I, I agree with both of you. I think Sanchez isn't awful at all. I think he's he's perfectly fine. I just think we could find better. A club at, club at our level now could, could hope to do better than Sanchez, I think. Um, but we'll see. The rumour was that Everton were interested because James Rodriguez and Yerry Mina were thinking, oh, we can be reunited with our, our national team buddy here and partner Sanchez and Mina at the back. But of course, they've now got Michael Keane, who's playing some really good football again mm. after a, after a, a big gap of being terrible. And Mason, Mason Holgate's not a bad defender at all. He's at Everton also. So perhaps they don't need him. I don't know. You know what would really suit Everton? I think playing a back three would really suit their style and the things <laughs> that they're trying to achieve, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like it I like it tempt them into it um, question from Mickey Bobbins this one's for me really he says I don't completely understand your position and I'm sure you have explained it a few hundred times but it kind of feels like you expect us to play beautiful football every game and whenever that doesn't happen it's like we failed I appreciate that it's nice to watch a great game but we had lots of them over the last few years and we'd often lose or draw them maybe I'm way off the mark but it feels like your dislike for Jose causes you to judge us much harder than if Poch was with us this season You and if Poch was with us this season you would have a different stance on how we're going I'm not trying to be rude or anything I really enjoy your opinion and the content you guys create so he um yeah, he wanted to make it clear that he wasn't trying to be out of line. He's just um, genuinely interested. And I'm, you know, happy to answer that in good faith and say, you're probably right that I am a little bit harder on Jose Mourinho than I would have been with Poch because I liked Pochettino as a person. and I don't like Jose Mourinho as a person. But if I, you know, taking away their personalities and um, what I think they are as, as men and, and just focusing on the football side, I would say the difference for me is that... Um, so we're a year into Mourinho's tenureship now, and I still don't quite know what he's trying to do with us. Whereas a year into Pochettino's, I had a really clear vision of what his what his strategy was, what he was trying to build, and I felt good about the potential long term sustainability of it and the impact it could have on us for years to come. Which you know transpired, but did have a really good run, not throughout his whole tenure, but we had a, a damn good run of it for what, two and a half years, three years maybe. Um, and I don't get that with Mourinho yet, but I say yet because I'm not saying that won't happen. I think I've been very um, open about this in the last few weeks. I think we are a team in transition and I think it's going to take a bit of time for our new players to bed in. And what I'm hoping for is that we see over these really tough seven games we've got now, uh, a style come in that I can kind of see potential in, that I can see where the results are coming from. You know, I've seen us grind out results against three of the bottom five teams in the league and I've not jumped for joy because I'm like, they're three of the bottom five teams in the league where, where others have said they're games we'd previously have lost. I'm a bit like, would we? Would we definitely, I mean, with the squad we've got now, would we have lost those under Pochettino? I'm not so sure. So I just want to see, I want to see what Mourinho's going to do with this fantastic team before I go all in. Um, and it's not, honestly, it's not that I expect beautiful football every game because I know that's unrealistic. No team plays beautifully every game. Like Liverpool played some fabulous football in their title winning season, but they also ground out some results and played some muck. It was just fairly infrequent. Most of the time they played more attractive stuff. Um, I hope that's a fairly, I hope that's balanced in some way. I mean, the thing is as well, don't don't try and understand the way I understand football and uh, enjoy watching Spurs because I'm me, I'm an individual, I'm I'm a bit weird and and I have my own views on, on Jose Mourinho. So just be yourself and enjoy it for, for what you enjoy and, uh, and double down on that if you need to, like Bardi does. <laughs> Always double down. Any thoughts, Bardi or Nathan? Um, I like winning football matches. I in the last last year of Pochettino, you do you really love winning, don't you? Really love winning. (laughs) In Pochettino's last last year, we didn't win enough football matches, and I hated that. Um, And we're winning games now, and as long may that continue. I I think it's when some people say, "Oh, I don't mind it as long as we're getting the results," and then it's one of those that I'm quite happy to sit through the turgid one nils and win the league. I could do that. I could do that 38 games in a row. I said it many times. We had that question didn't we yeah, yeah. I could do it quite happily I can <laughs> grind out results and see that and take that league title and then and then go to my grave happy that I've seen Spurs win the league because it's one of those questions that you you ask yourself as a child am I ever going to see Spurs win the league or the Champions League and you, you know there's people who have lived and died and not seen Spurs win anything and I would quite like to go to my grave content that I married the woman I love I had great time with friends and everything else, and I saw Spurs win something, and then then I'll be all right. Let's go, let's go to sleep now. But um, 
and I would take turgid, turgid results just to have that. You could put it on my gravestone, Windy. You're in charge of that. He yeah. saw Spurs win the league. <laughs> Psychic, best friend, brackets, saw Spurs win the league. <laughs> so I like, I like the way you've added another layer to the would you, would you watch Spurs win 38 games 1-0? You said yes, but for one season. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, I think is fair enough, you yeah. know. Most people would say, "Yeah, I'll do it for one season." Anything more than that might be too much. Then I'll walk the earth. I'll walk the earth. I'll like Samuel <laughs> give Jackson, up football. Fiction. I'll, I'll retire. What What else is there to get? Because this, what are you going to win? Thirty eight games, four nil. This is not going to happen. <laughs> I'll just retire happy. I'll, I'll hand over my passwords. I'll hand over like my Twitter account will be. I'm not going to delete it, but I'll just put something like the end, and then I'll see you all guys later. Later, I'll see you down the pub. I'll meet. I'll wait for you outside the stadium. Beautiful. Uh, Nathan, could you do thirty-eight one nils? No. Are we doing this question again? <laughs> if, if it if it were if it were uh, for one season only, uh, I would struggle through it. But yeah, for one season, I guess so. I mean, it's yeah. kind of. I feel like we're not a million miles away from that this season. We're winning. It's not brilliant to watch. Let me let me ask you uh, three yes or no questions. Right. Ooh. Do you demand that we play beautiful football every match? No. Okay. Do you want to see us try? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you think we're trying to play beautiful football every match? No. Yes. Yes. I do think we are. Interesting. I don't... I don't think we went to Burnley to stink it out. We tried. We tried to make some nice maneuvers. We tried to move the ball around against West Brom. Had we had Suns tucked that away after a nice little counter attack, I think the game would have opened up and we would have worked for us. Um, against Brighton, we got a little bit found out, but I do think there are patches in games where we do attempt and do try to play nice football, but it doesn't always come off, and then we kind of revert to um, getting through it and making sure we get the points. So I would say we've got a fabulous team now. If we are trying to play beautiful football and this is what we're getting, <laughs> then I, I have major concerns about Jose Mourinho as a as a manager in 2020. But but there are you're once again you're looking at the team and you're judging the players by their name and not thinking about there is faults in our team. This is oh, a, sure. an amazing yeah. amazing group of players, but there are issues there. The the right back, although is improved, is not the right back you kind of need to be able to play. Had we a, a Reggion at right back, it, it's a different thing. So the team is unbalanced there. Uh, our goalkeeper is not the greatest at um, counterattacking. His distribution doesn't help us there. So that we can't play beautiful football starting from that deep. Our centre backs are okay at launching the ball they're okay on the ball but they're not center backs who are who are who are, who are blessed with the ability to create from from deep and then we know in center midfield at the moment we're playing Sissoko and Sissoko is as wonderful he is, as he is he's not very good I think Thelonious called described him as Tracy Emmons bed he's a work of art but he's a he's a, he's a mess and he's unable to play good football. So that's where the problems are of us attempting to play good football all the time. It's just we are fundamentally flawed in certain areas of the pitch. Spoken like Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> My guy. No, no, you know, I think there is a middle ground to, to what we're debating here. And I, I hope the listeners aren't um, aren't turned off by, by what either of us have said. I mean, certainly by what I've said that I think my, my stance is more likely to turn people off. But like I say, it's, it's just one person's... Just one person's view. It can't um, hurt you. Look, and the thing is, we, we come on and we talk about Spurs every week and we love talking about Spurs. I, I still love doing this podcast and this is my enjoyment I get from Spurs at the moment. I, I don't enjoy watching the match or the last three matches anyway, but I really enjoy analysing them with you guys. That's, that's fine for me. I've, I've made, I'm at peace with it now. And I, and I, I think and I hope we can improve. So there we go. Um, this one might be a struggle for Nathan because I think he might be a bit too young. But uh, Mertzi Merman from Finland uh, says that he, he found Spurs eight years ago. That means I only know what I've read and studied about the club before that time. So my question is, what was my fellow Finn, Timu Tainio, like as a Spurs player and captain in your eyes? Do you have a shareable memory about him? Would he even make it close to our current squad? He says Tainio is coaching in Finland now. Last season, his team absolutely dominated the second division and now his team is playing in the main division doing enough to avoid relegation. Tainio's son Maximus also joined the club, leaving Spurs' academy earlier this summer. Um, I had a real soft spot for Timu Tainio. Bardi, what were your, your remembrances of Timu? 
uh, same as you. I had a real soft spot for him as well. He he joined us when we weren't great, and he seemed to have a little bit of everything about him. He was mm. quite short in stature, but he 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 was able to get around and bully people. He was decent on the ball. He was okay attacking. He was good defending. I mean, he he's a bit of um, I don't know. He, maybe like a kind of Sissoko cross between Sissoko and Winks, maybe that he was pretty good defensively and decent short passing. Um, the, the memory for me is there's, there's always the one from the league cup final when we beat <laughs> yep. Chelsea of the time wasting yep. completely um, doing his best uh, Lamella impression and winding up the Chelsea lot. So that there's that. And I think the way he celebrated that as well. The, yeah. I think it, it all relates to that final because I think he he played fullback. He played fullback for a large period of that final as well. He he was very very adaptable. He could play anywhere, and I liked him. I always always remember him fondly. Absolutely, he um he pointed up to the he pointed up to the scoreboard, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I want to say it was Didier Drogba yeah. that he was he was oh. he was messing about. He was basically taking a throw in in the left back area, and I think it was Drogba came up to him, but he's wasting his time and winding him up, and then he points up to the scoreboard. It was it was fantastic. Um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He was a really versatile player. Lots of central midfield. I mean, central midfield was his best position for sure, um, but he also filled in a lot on the left. He he would end up playing sort of a narrow left midfield position and he did a really good job there he was a very tenacious player a real grafter loved to put a foot in I think perhaps if he'd had a bit more acceleration a bit more sort of agility he he might have been um a level up but as it was he was a a very useful squad player who we signed if I recall either free or very cheaply from Auxerre. I think I think his contract expired at Auxerre and um, and he joined us at the end of his contract. And I mean that has to be seen as a, a bargain signing because he had a really good little um, Spurs career and I, I was very fond of him. Enjoyed watching him play for Spurs uh, and I was sad when he ended up leaving. Uh, his son um, Maximus, I think he's called I think he goes by Maxi. Um he wasn't great if I'm honest. He he wasn't too great. Again a bit of a sort of um, versatile player who could play right back central midfield bit of centre back but a bit below the level of our other academy players and uh, I would say there's a bit of nepotism there uh, potentially that, that got him into the academy in the first place but good luck to him I hope he I hope he has a, a good career like his like his old man and does well I, for himself I mean we gave him a seven year contract when he joined so um, wow he, he really probably probably didn't want to join but we're like come to us we'll give you seven years <laughs> back in the day when um, free transfers all the rage <laughs> seven years incredible that's mad yeah well, it'd be amazing if he if he does turn out to be a, a good manager and at some point comes back. It'd be nice. That'd be a nice little story. Yeah, I didn't realise he was managing. It was it was good to get that insight from uh, from Mertzi. Mm. Um, Stephen Kelly says on match of the day, Harry Kane was criticised by Martin Keown for the dangerous play of backing into a jumping Adam Lallana. But more notable to me during the game were the hugely obvious and frankly desperate dives of Kane and Son in the Brighton box around 20 or 30 minutes later. What are your feelings on tactics such as these? Personally, I find myself conflicted for as much as I find it all embarrassing and un- excuse me embarrassing and unedifying I don't think I'd actually care if it all led to a win it makes me feel like a massive hypocrite Uh, Stephen I absolutely agree with uh, your summary at the end there I feel in exactly the same way Nathan, how do you feel about uh, diving? I mean, it's something I've noticed Son and Kane doing uh, quite a bit recently is, is going to ground easily. I mean, Kane's always been keen to hit the deck, to be fair. But um, what do you think? Uh, diving is good. <laughs> you enjoy diving. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like um, it, it, you're threatening to uh, make me repeat the what is a foul and what is diving <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, just, just edit it in. Just slot yeah, it in now. Just slot that in right here. Uh, I don't know, man. I sort of one, and I have mentioned this before, but something that makes me curious is like why people find it embarrassing. What is the source of that embarrassment? Why is diving specifically more embarrassing than you know time wasting a throw in or um, committing tactical fouls or um, uh, taking 
a full minute to take a goal kick or I don't know what other thing what say name me some things that are cheating that isn't embarrassing I think it's the theatrics that goes against the kind of proper football man code. It's yeah. the theatrics of a of a man pretending to be hurt. I think that's I think that's what the, the root of it for a lot of people is. Yeah, I mean that is sort of my suspicion. It's like uh, I I don't I don't need football to affirm my masculinity. I don't find um, theatrics uh, embarrassing. I don't care about being perceived or having people i like perceived as having feminine traits i don't necessarily think that it's right to consider theatrics or whatever to be feminine traits i don't need harry kane to be odd and take a bunch of unnecessary (laughs) damage and you know the the it's you know if going down when you don't need to go down protects your body from unnecessary damage and also potentially wins you games i don't I don't understand. This is the one bit of cheating that we seem to hate so much more than anything else. Um, all the while, players are getting horribly injured all the time um, and fouls are not getting called all the time when players don't dive. So I, I don't I don't care, basically. There was, um, there was one action in, in the um, Man City-Liverpool game where Sterling was on the attack and Sterling got fouled, but he stayed up and the referee didn't give the free kick. Liverpool then collected the ball and they went down the other end and Mane, who received much less physical contact, went down and won a penalty. Mm. And there, all of a sudden, why Sterling didn't dive and it's ultimately cost his team a goal. And that that's why. That's why players dive because referees are unwilling to give a free kick sometimes yeah. unless the player hits the floor. So Son and Kane, they... They went down trying to win the free kick because unless you go on the floor, you're not going to get a free kick or you're not going to get a penalty. If you're going through on goal and you're being pulled back and you take the shot, we've seen many times the bail one against West Ham. Unless you fall over on the floor yeah. and, you, and you make a sign to the referee in VAR, look, I've been fouled. They're very unwilling to give you the free kick. So that's kind of why I'm pro pro diving or pro falling over to contact. That's That's kind of where I stand. I'm pro falling over after contact. So the most um, <laughs> egregious dive I can remember from a Spurs player yeah. was Didier Zakora. Uh, do you remember the Didier Zakora dive? The famous no. Didier Zakora dive? I can imagine it. I can just imagine it in my head, but no. <laughs> it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. So basically a slide tackle comes in, um, but is probably a foot away from him. Yeah. And he does a full like, as if you're diving into a swimming pool dive. Um, and it is, it's, it's, spectacular and really sort of shameful um and, and it always sticks in my memory when that's what i think of when i when i hear the term diving it, probably it'll be on youtube google um didier zakora dive i'm sure you'll find a video of it it's it's quite something um i think nathan's point's really interesting about the sort of masculinity angle that that doesn't bother me so much although i do really fucking hate amdram i fucking hate amdram with a passion uh, so there's that, but I think it's just sort of general <laughs> cheating does bother me more than it probably should. I'm I I get wound up. Like I, the other thing I really hate, really hate, and I just wish referees would sort it out. Is like the classic Harry Winks pull of the shirt when he's beaten by his man. And Winks is guilty of that probably four four or five times a season. Like he'll just brazenly basically pull someone's shirt off as they run past him, and it winds me up. But because referees deal with them in the way they do it's a thing in football so unless you unless you stop it being a thing it will be a thing and as nathan explains that's why diving is a thing because referees have to see a player go to ground before they'll give a penalty it's it's a natural sort of um it's a natural response to the way the the laws are implemented so it's completely right and reasonable that there is such a thing as uh simulation uh, I, I do find the sort of the match of a day crowing about it almost I, like I find, uh, that's worse than a diving itself, <laughs> isn't it? The way that people talk about it, that's the problem. And, and the way you sort of see football Twitter up in arms. I mean, I'm sure there are threads and threads of, of photos of Harry Kane diving to win penalties. It's quite pathetic, to be honest. What there is, right, and this is one of my favourite uh, repeated Twitter events, is someone <laughs> will create a compilation of Harry Kane dives and then because it breaches copyright with the Premier League, the video gets <laughs> taken down and then they go, look, the conspiracy to protect Harry Kane <laughs> is... <laughs> and... <laughs> 
that's incredible i didn't know that happened but that's absolutely incredible. so good so good i remember the specifically that happens remember um lamella dived uh or lamella got fouled in my opinion by van dyke and one of henry such and a foul such a like, foul literally just the bat his calf was just hacked by van dyke and there was like there were like one or two other incidences in that same game so there was like a whole bunch of because Liverpool fans are obviously the most special of all bunches uh yeah. compilations of the events from that game and then the like the Premier League take the video down and it's look the BBC are protecting Spurs they're beloved because the BBC famously love to protect Spurs it's it's uh it's it's good entertainment football fans are the worst <laughs> should, we, should we delete this podcast <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why are we talking to these idiots? I hate everyone. We're never making another podcast again there. This is the last one. I thought you didn't like Amdram. That was very Amdram windy. Yeah, that's a good point. I do really fucking hate Amdram so much. I hate it so much. Um, Tom Dean says, though it's clear Jose's way in the media is very calculated and to be fair, he's great at playing the media. How calculated do you think his man management methods with the players are? as opposed to letting his emotions or ego take over. I read something recently, I forget where, about it being important for a dressing room to be a certain level of raw and uncomfortable. Do you think Jose is or has been good at harnessing this? I mean, this is something we spoke about a little bit when we did the All or Nothing watch-alongs, but um, what do you think, Buddy? Do you, do, you think, um, do you think Mourinho sort of... Do you think he's calculated with his man management or, as Tom implies, do you think he sometimes lets his, his emotions take over? I think he lets his emotions take over. I have to say, though, that Jose's um, Instagram is my favourite social media channel in existence at the moment. <laughs> I, I, I really I really enjoy it. Uh, from from holding the free balls, from eating crisps in the Ludogorets to working out with his flip-flops on. <laughs> the nappiest content ever. I, I, really, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> But that's why, because I think he knows he's being naff and he does it that way. But he's also pushing a very serious message that he's got six players at Spurs while the rest of his team are all off around the world, possibly getting infected, possibly having huge repercussions on Tottenham. So he does um, he does deliver his messages in a, in a very kind of Trump Trump way. There is some yeah, truth that's behind good it. Yeah. yeah, it's very Trumpian. And, and actually, Trump. you're right that the message is... The message is important. That mm. it's, it's ludicrous that these friendlies are going ahead, but uh, no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. No, <laughs> you're, you're right, basically. Yeah, and Joe Mourinho is absolutely right to say that. Uh, Nathan, any thoughts? I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's Trumpian. I think it's. I think it's. It's dad posting. It's, it's, <laughs> it's dad social daddy. media. It's. <laughs> it's like you post something up on social media, like for you and your mates, and then your dad gets involved and replies, and is like, "No, this isn't for you. You don't. Your your own attempt to be funny is ruining the existing joke that you're not even aware of. It's that, but he's also the manager of my football club. I don't like it. It's. It's really dividing the fan base. This one. But I just went. So, I I hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's because you're still young. When you get a little bit older, you'll start you'll you'll start enjoying this kind of stuff because (laughs) you start seeing yourself in the things he posts. Take take a picture of me looking glum on the empty bus, so I can (laughs) express how sad I am that we lost. That's the thing for me. I imagine the setup. I I I can't help but thinking about the setup, and it makes it even more sort of. (laughs) Sad, basically. Uh, Nathan, you want me to explain what amateur dramatics is? Yeah, I imagine that quite a few of our listeners don't know what you mean by that. Okay, amdram, amateur dramatics, is when when people uh, who who enjoy acting, enjoy the concept of acting, and often musical theatre, will uh, will get on the stage in in theatre groups and and perform plays and musicals. I was dragged along to some of these by a, a former friend, sort of as a show of solidarity, and have sat through. It. And and let, let me let me tell you, these are not cheap things. These are <laughs> like you might think that a bunch of randoms off the street putting on a, a, a play would kind of let you in for two or three pounds, but no, <laughs> oh no, no. I have parted with up to fifteen pounds to watch <laughs> to watch useless acting and singing. Uh, horrendous, absolutely horrendous. No need for it. It's, it's all like just watch telly. It's all being done for you. <laughs> it's been done really well. Um, where were we? Um, just watch. Just watch telly. 
Just watch telly. Yeah, that was a proper your dad comment. Yeah, yeah. I tended to chase it. Speaking of telly, okay, we'll end on this. Speaking of telly, um, I watched a really good documentary on Netflix over the weekend. Trial Four. Uh, I, I do like wrongful conviction documentaries, although I accept that me liking them means they've had to have happened in the first place, which is obviously a very bad thing. But it's a, it's really interesting in terms of the the process, but also uh, the the pro how the system then flaws any kind of appeal process as well. It's so interesting. But there's a bit of um, sort of societal, um, sort of social analysis as well of, of Boston, which is the area it's set in. Really, really good, really good documentary. If you enjoyed Making a Murderer, I, I highly recommend Trial 4. It's excellent stuff. What have you guys been watching? I was I was so excited when you told me that there was a, I literally last night, and I thought about tweeting it out, but I'm always reluctant to sort of misuse my following. I was desperately looking for a documentary. I thought, I have I haven't watched a good documentary series in a while, especially. I really want to watch a good documentary. And I, I looked around, I looked on Netflix and thought, what is there? Ah, oh, oh, it's all it's all just crime documentaries. I'm so, I'm so bored. I'm so fed up with these crime and criminal and jail uh, documentary series. I want something, I want something different than that. And you come on with, I've been watching this really interesting documentary. I lit up. I thought, yes, yes, there's an interesting documentary on Netflix and then it's it's another trial one i'm bored of them i've had enough of i've started last night i started to watch um queen's gambit because there weren't any good documentaries um i'm only one episode in so i don't really have a huge amount to say about it so far but uh if anyone can recommend me some what i want from a documentary is like a really minor detail of a niche subject explored in immense depth (laughs) that's what i want i don't want i don't want big societal uh analysis i want here's one small thing that's interesting to a very small number of people that's what i'm after I, i've got just the thing i've got just the thing my octopus teacher i was gonna say i was just about to say that yeah okay which bardi put me onto uh, it's mm. so good it's so bardi do you want to you do want to explain the the documentary not, not obviously the whole, not the whole thing but the concept film it's, yeah it's a guy that every day for a year goes to film this octopus and he starts learning about it oh. and the animal how it how it exists Hell yes it's <laughs> so good so good so I, I came into this knowing that octopuses are really smart animals yeah. and everything else and the, and the way they hunt and the way they move but then I, I love eating octopus but i don't i don't think i can ever eat an octopus Ooh. after this so if you really like octopus um yeah don't watch it but it's, it's a great it's a great documentary but it's also really relaxing just anything mm. sort of underwater any yeah, underwater film is generally really interesting and relaxing i found it just a delightful watch yeah mm. thanks for that buddy it was a great recommendation and you'll nathan you'll love that okay. but, uh, but do like when you when you're less bored of, of crime stuff do give trial four a go because it's it's really well made it's really well put together buddy what have you been watching um like everyone else i've been watching queen's gambit which is really good um, the lead actress has got really interesting face and uh, she's she's brilliant the um the young guy from game of thrones is in it with uh, the strangest mustache and cowboy hat and uh, i like all the characters it's really really good i'm watching it with my dad at the moment and other than that parasite is available for free on amazon prime so i rewatched that uh, yesterday as well it's such such a good film cool there you go we've um we've really hit a number of markers today that i did not expect to hit and uh, as you heard earlier this will be our last podcast so uh, enjoyed it. <laughs> nice you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to bardi for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.